Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Here's Berkeley. Thank you. Um, yeah, welcome, everyone. Uh, I, I think it might be my fault that we have snow today, because I really think this is fitting. Um, you probably can't see if you're looking online, but... It's so beautiful behind me. Um, the snow is just, it's the perfect kind of snow. The big snowflakes falling across. I just think it's beautiful. And um, like Brandon said, it's, it's covering the brown of winter. Um, I just think it's beautiful. So yeah, like Brandon mentioned, I'd recently got married in November. And if you were in your 20s and you were a Christian, um, you probably remember this like wave of weddings that happens. It seems to all happen at the same time, right in the middle of your 20s. And that's what Sam and I, my husband, are um, experiencing right now. So really the last like year of our life and the next year of our life is consumed by weddings. Um, we had seven weddings we attended last year and then eight including our own. This year we have nine weddings. Um, part of the issue is Sam's kind of an anomaly of men. Uh, I think most men, this is probably a generalization, but most men have like one or two good friends. Sam has like 10 really good friends and they're not acquaintances. He has like 10 best friends. So of course he's in all of their weddings. Um, we have you know bachelorette parties and uh, we have a couple right here sitting in, the, <laughs> they're gonna get married soon and we're both in their wedding. Um, so that's just our world right now is, is weddings, thinking about weddings. And um, for me, as I was, Dating Sam, getting ready to get married, getting engaged, I spent a lot of time thinking about especially Ephesians 5. And if you've been married um, or you've sat through a you know, relationship series at church, you've probably heard Ephesians 5. And I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it's a verse that says, you know, wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. And husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And then Paul says at the end of this section, he talks about the husband leaving his family and becoming one with his wife. And that he says, this is a profound mystery. Um, but I'm telling you, he gives us a little secret. He's, I'm, I'm talking about the church in Christ. And so I've spent a lot of time in these verses. And I've spent a lot of time the last year thinking about Christ and the church and husbands and wives and brides and grooms and how this all interconnects. Um, and I feel like the lucky one being the bride because I love the church like so much. Um, when I was in high school, I was invited to church and I didn't really care about the Bible <laughs> or Jesus. I, wasn't, I didn't really have any interest, but I loved coming to church. Like I would walk into the building of church and I just liked being there. Um, I liked the games we played. I liked the people I got to meet. Um, I just loved church. And that's continued all throughout my, um, you know, young adulthood as I've come into my faith. Uh, church is my favorite place. The local church I have such a heart for. And then, of course, um, we call the big C church is kind of a word we use to describe the whole body of believers. So every church around the world, uh, but bigger than that, anyone who, who calls himself a believer of Christ, anyone that follows Jesus, whether they're plugged into a local church or not. That's what this, this big C church is talking about. And that's what we're going to talk about today um, as we read in Revelation. And I want to preface this with, I, I love the local church so much, 
that I'm really not convinced I have <laughs> the power of words or the right words to talk about how beautiful the church is and how much Christ loves his church, how much he loves the body of believers. Um, so I'm going to do my best, but take what I say and just let the Lord amplify it because it's, it's a really big deal um, what, what John sees in this vision in Revelation. Um, so we're going to start in Revelation 19, verse 5. Um, and it's, this is the first place in Revelation that it really talks about this bride. So all of Revelation is this kind of like, people call it the end times, but it's, it's Christ coming, um, defeating evil on earth. And then we come to the, kind of the end of Revelation and we get this picture of the bride. Uh, but we see this all over the place. We see it, like I said, in Ephesians 5, all through the Old Testament, um, you see references to the lamb and the bride. And so this isn't new, um, especially for John as he's getting this vision. So it says, and from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And this is a perfect setup for what John's about to, about to see. And I think it's really important that he points this out. Like this isn't just some dream he was having. It's not just like some, I don't know, small wedding ceremony. He's saying, I, I heard a voice of a great multitude. All of the heavens were crying out and praising God. It was like the roar of many waters. This is, this is a really overwhelming vision for John. It's like he's standing in the middle of a storm surrounded by, you know, 20-foot ocean waves. Like, this is, this is how he's feeling in this moment. Um, he's, he's really, really overwhelmed by, by this vision that he's, uh, that he's getting. It says, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saint. And so to break this down a little bit, um, first off, we're starting with praise. Hallelujah. And the reason for it is that the Lord, all God, God Almighty, he reigns. And right before this section in Revelation, it talks about um, Babylon, which is this prostituted city um, representing, you know, idolatry against God, representing all of the things that we spend our time praising here on earth. Um, even as we're a part of the church, every day we're spending time praising things that aren't God. So this is defeated and finally... Hallelujah, God reigns over all of the earth. And he could finally come into this marriage, the lamb and the bride. And so that's the first part I want to point out. Um, second part, that the bride is clothing herself in fine white linen, bright and pure. And this we see at weddings um, here on earth. I bought a nice white dress for my wedding. I had a white veil. Um, we, we emulate this as we're getting married. But John points out, he says, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And this word righteous deeds, um, it's not to be assumed that the, the linens were given to um, the bride because they did anything. Um, it's not given to the church because we had righteous deeds and we had works on earth that, that we earned this. Um, this, this word in Greek that's used here, it's um, often used as like ordinance or a good example is a sentence of justification. That's something like in legal terms when your lawyer writes a, a reason why you're innocent. Um, that's what a sentence of justification is. And so these fine linens that this bride has adorned herself in, it was granted to her and it's the blood of the lamb. 
And so here on earth, when you become a part of the, the big church, when you accept Christ into your life, you go through baptism. And it's beautiful, and it's representative of the washing of sins, the cleaning of yourself. Um, it's representative of, of accepting the forgiveness of God. And baptism is really, really important, and it's a huge part of the church here on earth. But we have to recognize that it's not the ultimate washing. Once you've been baptized, you aren't sinless. You aren't perfect. And this, as we come to the end, God has, God has defeated evil in this book. And he's saying, this is the ultimate washing of your sin. I am giving you these fine linen clothing, and we're going to come to the marriage feast and we're going to come into unity with one another. Um, finally, we can have this perfect washing. We become completely holy and one with God. And so it's, it's given to us. It's so, so important. We didn't earn it. Um, we, don't, we don't choose necessarily to be a part of this. God's giving this to us. He's, he's washing us clean, finally, at the end. And I also want to say with this... Um, as, as we're reading through Revelation 19, this is, this is really intense, like I said. There's all of the heaven is praising. Um, we're praising God for being almighty. And I'm going to reference my wedding. And I'm going to reference weddings I'm going to. But I really think it's important to take a moment. And if you've never been married, um, that's not a promise from God that everyone's going to get married. Um, or maybe you don't feel called to get married. Um, you don't need to have had a wedding in order to understand this. You don't have to have had a wedding to feel the power of this. My wedding was beautiful. That was one of the best days of my life. I love my husband. He is such a gift from God. I believe that we're called to marriage. I believe marriage is important. I believe families are really, really, really important. But I am missing the point of the gospel and the goodness of God if I think that me walking down the aisle on my wedding day is going to compare at all to this day that's in Revelation 19. This is so much bigger than my wedding day. This is so much bigger than any wedding I've ever been to. The emotions that we're going to feel on this day are really, really big and overwhelming. And so you don't need to have a wedding to relate to. Because even my relation of my wedding to this day, doesn't, it doesn't compare. It doesn't do a good enough job for me to understand what this is going to be like. It's so much bigger than just earthly marriage, as important and beautiful as marriage is here on earth. And it does give us a picture. Um, but, but keep in mind, it's not, it's not a perfect picture. Because <laughs> God's really so much bigger. This day is, is so, so beautiful and overwhelming. And John continues to explain that as we talk through these verses. So we'll continue on. Revelation 19, 9. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down to his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so again, like I've, like I've said a few times, John, is this is a really overwhelming vision. And out of seeing this marriage of the lamb, he's getting this vision, he falls to his feet in worship to this angel. And unfortunately, that's something that is somewhat common with, these, with ancient um, Israelites. When they see angels, they, they worship them. And the angel's making sure he knows, I am just like you. I'm just here to proclaim the gospel. I'm just here to tell the testimony of Jesus. I'm just like you. 
the reaction of getting this, like, this vision, if we could really grasp what John could see in this vision, if we could really see this wedding between the Lamb, Christ, and his church, we would also fall down. We wouldn't be able to stand. We wouldn't be able to um, stay on our feet. We would fall down in worship. And it's really important, again, that we worship God as he has defeated idolatry in this beautiful moment. Um, the first reaction, our first initial outpouring from hearing this good news should be worship to God. That is the point of the church. We have good news and our instant outpouring is worship back to the Lord. That should be, that should be our focus all the time. He says, worship God, simply in one sentence. So now we're going to skip forward um, to Revelation 21, and it brings back up this picture of um, the church and Christ and the marriage between the two. And in this section um, is what we read this morning. It is the picture of a holy city um, versus just the bride. So it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming, out of, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And so this new Jerusalem, historically, Jerusalem was the place of the temple. This is where people would travel from all around to be near the presence of God. He was in the temple. And now this new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. And it's really important. It says, coming down out of heaven from God. This new Jerusalem, which can be understood as the church, is not something that was made by human hands. It wasn't our invention. It wasn't our idea. We didn't voluntarily create the church. This is something that's coming from God. It came from God at the beginning of time, and it's coming down from God here at the ends of time as we are watching the new heaven and the new Jerusalem. This is the church historically. This is the church today in its perfect and eternal state. It's from God. It is always a gift. It is always something that we're invited into, and it's never something that we create ourselves. And again, we can't fool ourselves in thinking that this church that we made it, that Brandon is the one that made all of this happen. It's always from God. The church in the past, today, and in the future will always be a gift from God. And another thing, as Jerusalem is the temple, we know from New Testament, the New Testament from Jesus coming, that we, as the body of Christ, are the temple. That I, as a walking and living and breathing body, am a walking temple of God. Meaning that the spirit of the Lord dwells within, within me. As I accept Christ, as I was baptized, and I walked into this life as the body of Christ, I get to walk as the living temple. And so this new city, the holy Jerusalem, is all believers coming down from heaven, the temple of God being one with us, and us finally connecting into unity with God. We'll dwell with him. He will be our people. And of course, we're getting a lot of um, similarities, if you know the story of Genesis, before the fall of man, um, it talks a lot about God being with his people and dwelling with them. This was, this was before sin ever entered the picture. And now at the end, this marriage ceremony, this bride adorned for her husband, again, in the washing of the blood, in the washing of the lamb, finally we can be with God again. And that's what this marriage ceremony is ultimately about. 
We continue in verse four. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestables, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And this section is really kind of hard for me to read. It's this picture, this comparison between the marriage supper, this new city, this new Jerusalem, the church in its perfect and eternal state, and, and the other option. And God, as he's, as he's saying this, he's saying, I'm the alpha and the omega. He's not saying, I'm going to reward the people who are good and who I like, and I'm going to punish everyone else. It's the angel saying, write this down. This is trustworthy and true. This is just the reality of what life is like. This is the reality of having a God who is so holy that he can't be in the presence of anything less than that. God creates us, and he redeems us, and he gives us white clothing to wear on this day because we are saved through the lamb, through the cross. And he says, this is free. I will give to any who want it the spring of life without payment. But for those, of the, those who don't accept God's invitation, those who refuse to be in the presence of God, the reality of their existence, the reality of their future is not as happy. And again, it's not God punishing them. It's not a God who, you know, as you walk down the aisle says, you're going this way and you're going this way. Some of you get good and some of you get bad. He's inviting everyone. He always invites everyone. The invitation is free and it's open. And some will accept it and some will not. And God's saying that is, that is the reality. Let's not forget. Let's not be wishful about this and um, know that the invitation is really important. And so that's, um, I think that's beautiful though, as he contrasts that. Um, I think it, it, it makes us really think about our role as the church. Um, it makes us really think about the reality of our world. It's easy to get kind of wrapped up in Christian circles. And um, I find myself doing this a lot. I have a lot of really good Christian friends. Most of my time is spent with people who love the Lord. And sometimes I find myself forgetting that there are still people whose, whose future and whose hope is not in this. That they don't get to think about the Alpha and the Omega. They don't get to experience the water of life for free. And I don't want us to forget that as the church. We should never, ever, ever forget those who have not yet accepted the invitation. That should be our, our entire mission. So Revelation 21.9, we're going to continue on. This is a big section. Um, don't, don't, don't close your eyes during it. Um, it's a little boring. Not boring. I shouldn't say that about the Bible. You'll get it when I start reading it. <laughs> um, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. And that's just a reference to early in Revelation. And saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And here it doesn't just talk about the bride. It talks about the bride and the wife. And so the bride being representative of this pure, newly washed, holy existence. 
And the wife, of course, we know after you get married, there's a whole nother level of intimacy that you get to have with your husband or with your wife. And so this wife of the lamb is representative of the intimate unity that we have with Christ. And the bride is representative of the new washing, the final washing of our sins. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal, and had a great high wall with the twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And so this is referencing the early church, the Old Testament church, the sons of Israel, as they were setting up, the, after the exodus, setting up the church. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So it's bringing together this Old Testament church, the sons of Israel, with the New Testament church, and uh, the apostles, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It's creating a connection between those two to say, it's not them and us, it's not old us and new us, we're one here in the picture of God and in this marriage ceremony. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measure, which is also an angel's measurement. And this is a funny thing that John says. He goes, you know, the, the city is this big, which happens to be how humans measure things and also happens to be how angels measure things. And I just think that's a funny thing to say. You know, I like to picture the angel like, measure twice, cut once. John, he's like way ahead of you. You know, we're speaking the same language. But I think he really, he's referencing um, what the angel said before, that we're just one. The angels and us were just servants of God. We're speaking the same language, which is, um, you know, the gospel. We're speaking the testimony of God. But it's a funny way to say it, I think. And then he goes, The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the walls of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. And forgive me if I uh, pronounce these jewels wrong. The first was jasper the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amorist. And the twelve gates were the twelve pearls. Each of the gates were made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass." And so we have this really, really long description about what this new city looks like. And if you've read a lot of the Old Testament, you know that this is similar to when they were first building the temple of God as they were moving in the Exodus. And there's just chapters and chapters and chapters about the length of the walls and, and what orientation things are, what you put on the north wall versus the south wall of this, um, of this temple. And the whole point of all these descriptions is not necessarily so that we can go and build a, you know, a replicated model of what this city looks like. That's not really John's purpose, that we can replicate this. The point is that there's detail in this city of Jerusalem, that God is so holy, that he is so great, and that his spirit can only reside in something that's created perfectly for God. 
And as we think about this city, that makes sense, building a city perfectly with detail. But we also know that we are the temple of God. And in this perfected state, and in our state as we are right now, God is saying, I created you perfectly with all of these details to hold my spirit. If, you, if I didn't create you with all of these details, if I didn't put all of these jewels on you, I couldn't reside in you. As, as creation of God, as people made in his image, we are the perfect and ultimate temple for God. We are exactly where his spirit can reside, where he can be one with us. And then, that's now, I already have the spirit of God. And then in the future, as I have this final washing of my sin, as we as the church are finally pure, that we're stripped from sin, we're in unity with God. We are the eternal resting place for God's spirit. It's one with us. And that is, that's amazing. <laughs> that is really beautiful. Because I can stand up here and say, you know, uh, my hair is kind of flat or, you know, I'm not as good of a, I don't know, runner as I want to be. I'm kind of mean to my coworkers. We can point out all of these things about the temple of God that we don't really like. And God's looking at us and he's saying, you are, you are imperfect for sure. But I've redeemed you and you are perfect you are perfect for my spirit. That means something about us. That says something really, really important about the church. It says how much God loves us. We shouldn't be walking in doubt. We shouldn't be walking in, in questioning whether or not we're worthy. Because if we weren't worthy, the spirit of God couldn't dwell in us. He is holy and he is pure and he is good. And the fact that he does dwell in us that should give us confidence to walk in his gospel. That should give us confidence to be the church here on earth. And that should give us a hope for the future. We will be the eternal resting place of God. And we are the temple of God here on earth right now. That's, it's, it's beautiful. So the end of Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. By its light, there will, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So again, we go back to this contrast. This invitation that God gives us to live in a place where there is no need for a sun or a moon because the glory of God shines on us day and night. There's no night. The doors will never be shut to the temple because we have no need for protection anymore. Like it said in, in, before in chapter 21, every tear will be wiped away. There is no pain. There is just a oneness and a beauty with God. That's the marriage. It's the unity between the church and God, the final resting place for God's soul, where we can live in his light, we can wipe our tears, and we can just be in his glory forever and ever and ever. And so this is kind of the end. I have one more small verse, but I want to point out, you know, what, is, what does this mean for the church today? If we, if we know about the bride of Christ, if we know about this final marriage feast, what do we know about the church today? And I think there's, there's two really important things I want to point out right now. It's first the invitation. That none of us are here because we're good enough. None of us are here because we're perfect. 
We're here because we heard the invitation from God, probably from someone in the church, (laughs) otherwise you wouldn't have heard it. Someone who's a part of the body of Christ already came to you and said, do you know about Jesus? Do you know about this invitation to be a part of something that's really, really, really beautiful? Do you know about this future eternal glory where you get to rest with the creator of the universe? Do you know that you're worthy to hold the spirit of God within you? And then we said, no, I don't know that, but I want to. And we are baptized and we are washed in the sin and now we're the walking body of Christ. It all started with the invitation has nothing to do with our acts or our power. The church never will. And and the day that we think that the church is by our power or our works is the day that we no longer have the vision of God. If we really are worshiping the Lord, we'll know that. And then second, going back to the beginning of this, after this invitation, the church is here to worship. We gather together as a body to worship with one another. We should be worshiping at home because we are the temple of God. You can experience the Holy Spirit in the presence of the Lord by yourself. And then, of course, in the presence of others as we come together. Every Sunday morning when we come together, we get a picture of this marriage of all of us sitting together in a room, praising the Lord, worshiping him. And then the third thing, the reason for the church, the ultimate reason for the church, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's our job as the church to walk around and invite people into this. It's our job as the church to understand the gravity of what it means for someone to not accept the invitation of the Lord. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean we can judge them. It means we have to have a deep, deep empathy for those who don't know Jesus. And we say, come. And with the spirit, the spirit and the bride together, they say, come. And everyone who hears joins into the body of Christ and they say, come. And that is our, that is our goal. That's who we are as the church. Not to invite other people. That's not our job. The Lord invites. We just get to tell people about it. And Lord says, anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is needy, come take the water of life without price. It's free. It's a free gift. We get to enjoy it, and we must invite other people into it. So I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you so much for this blanket of snow. Thank you for reminding us what it looks like to be broken, Lord, and to be covered in your spirit, to be covered by your blood on the cross, Lord. Thank you for giving your son so that we can be the temple for you. Lord, I pray that we go out in confidence of who we are, that we are perfectly made to be your temple, to hold the spirit of God, Lord. And would we have the confidence then to invite others in? Would we have such a deep conviction and empathy for people around us who don't know you, Lord, that we can't do anything but spread your gospel? Lord, I pray that you're just with us right now in this moment, in this church. Lord, in all of the local churches around Denver and around the world, Lord, would you bring your body of believers together? Um, Would we have this picture of what it means to be in unity with you, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.